0: There's so much that we consider in everyday life, so much that weighs on our conscience, so much that we have to deal with. I know that if you're living here in Joburg, just kind of surviving can already be uh, can already be tough. And and there's so many things that we go through week by week, and we carry. And there's family, and there's career, and there's finances, and there's there's relationships, and and there's so much considering that we do in in every bit of our lives. Um, that we want to invite you along with the scriptures, along with with every. That God has has told us about Himself to consider Jesus, to consider Him in your walk, to consider Him in your weakness, to consider Him as you go through life, to consider what His death on the cross means to you. Every single person must answer that question for themselves is, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with what Jesus did for me on the cross? What do I do with the life that God has called me to? Do I believe it? Do I walk in it? Do I see more? Or do I believe that life is just biological? It's just instinct. It's just putting one foot in front of the other until we die. Is there more to life? Is there more for all of us? Is there a God-ordained plan? Is there something that God has, has specifically designed you for and created? you for and people that he is destined for you to impact and to touch and, to, and, and, and and how do we do that? How do we get to walk in this relationship with God? How do we get to stand in right standing with God where there's nothing between us and him, where we're not constantly feeling guilty and constantly feeling condemned? If you've been around church for, for a while, you might know that, that in many occasions you walk out of church feeling worse than when you walked in. I think there's a problem with that. I don't think that's the way that church should be. I don't think that we are here to heap condemnation or guilt or shame on your life. We're here to tell you the message that all of those things have been washed away by a God who loves us and who cares for us and who sent his own son for us. And so we're in the series right now called Consider Jesus. And essentially it's a journey through the book of Hebrews uh, in the Bible where we are looking at each chapter, uh, what the author of the book of Hebrews was saying and what God would be saying. To us through all of that, and uh, so to start off this morning, I thought I would ask you if you have ever heard a rumor about yourself. Has you know somebody has shared some misinformation, or they have a perspective on you that's perhaps skewed, that's perhaps not correct, or uh, you know events got twisted, or or anything like that. Anybody here uh, ever hear a rumor about themselves um, and uh, and kind of had to deal with that? As uh, I think we all have, we've probably all been in that place where people have have said something or judged us on a certain basis that wasn't always factual. And uh, having been in ministry now for uh, nearly a decade and a half, I've gotta tell you, I have had countless rumors, countless stories, and, uh, and things that I've had to deal with over the years. And I've almost, almost, I'm not there, quite there yet, but I've almost been able to dial them out completely and, and just kind of not pay attention so much to uh, what people would say uh, in their frailty, in their humanness, and in their misinformed state oftentimes. Not everything that's negative that people say about me is untrue. There are some things about me that aren't great, and uh, Jesus is helping me with those. So let me be the first to say I love... What uh, I think it was Martin Luther or Charles Spurgeon, one of them said that, um, you know, what, what, whatever you've heard about me, the truth is I'm far worse than that. So we can all relax. We can all relax. Whatever God or whatever people have said about you, you're probably a little bit worse than that, um, in all honesty. but, um, but uh, so, so I've learned to kind of tune it out and, and so forth. But uh, my mom, however, um, has not learned the skill yet when people when people say things about me, all right? So my mom's here in the front row, and I just wanted to warn you all that for as long as you are here at Anchor Joburg, if you say something about me and my mom finds out, <laughs> God help you, right? She will get your details and she will phone you. This has happened before. And I've had to say, mom, just please, just leave it. It's fine, it's fine. Um, <laughs> don't say I didn't warn you. Um But I think that we would all prefer to be, for people to to actually judge us according to who we really are. I think all of us would prefer for people to get the true uh, series of events or the, or the facts about a situation, the truth about a situation before making their judgments or just taking the time to get to know us, to get to know our character, to get to know our values, to get to know our heart um, before they say certain things. And uh, I think that is, that is a courtesy that we would all really appreciate from others. But this morning, I want to say that so many people do the same thing with God. So many people already sitting here in Anchor Church at a church service on a Sunday morning already have a preconceived idea about who God is, probably based on something that you've heard from somebody else, a rumor that came to your ears or a perspective that was shared with you that you've built up this kind of resistance towards church and towards God and towards what God would want for your life because you have heard rumors. Not because you've truly gotten to know God and his character and his love and his nature for yourself, but because, because it's what you've heard, it's what you think, it's just your perspective that you hold. And so even though you wouldn't want people to judge you according to misinformation, we so often judge God according to the same misinformation. A lack of perspective, a lack of understanding, a lack of faith that doesn't share the reality about God um, uh, uh, you know, in, within our own lives. And, and, so, and so we make judgments on secondhand information. We take secondhand info and we, we relegate God to some, some distant corner of our lives, the thought about God to some distant corner of our lives purely because we're misinformed, purely because we haven't taken the time and the effort to actually engage with God in a meaningful way, right? If he doesn't exist, then there's no danger, right? If he doesn't exist, if there's no Holy Spirit, if God isn't present, and you try to engage with him meaningfully, nothing would happen. So you wouldn't lose anything, you wouldn't lose your way, you would just continue with your life. But if it is true, if he is real, if his presence is available, and if he genuinely has a plan for your life, imagine what it could do. Imagine what having, taking a step of faith to engage with God in a meaningful way, imagine what it can do for your life. And that's why our heart is for you. Our heart as a church, our number one value is that we are all about Jesus. And our heart for you is that you would get to know him, that you would get to know him in a personal way, that you would be introduced to him firsthand, Not, not, not introduced to a religion. We're not enlisting anybody in religion here this morning. Not introduced to him um, on the basis of of, of secondhand information. This is not, we're not dealing in rumors about God. This is not just self-help. It's not just rules for good living or some tips on how to live a better life. This is about a person called Jesus and the heart that he has for you. What he has done in order to connect you to God, in order to unite you with God. And, And so here's the good news this morning, you can know him. Even if you've never known Him before, even if you have never even opened a Bible, even if church is the most distant thing from your mind, even if you're openly hostile towards the idea of God, I can tell you this morning that you can know Him. All, all our flaws, all our imperfections, all of our mistakes, all of the things that we've done, all of our perspectives really do not hinder us from knowing Him if we simply choose to open up our hearts. God is is able to reach into our lives and speak to us in a powerful and a personal way and has invited each of us, no matter how flawed you may feel this morning, to walk with Him. And you don't need to be a theologian to do this. You don't need to be a theologian to do this. You don't need to go and study the Bible. You don't need to know everything. You don't even need to know how to read. There are millions of uneducated people all over the world that cannot even read or write, but they can know him. Because this is not about information. This is not about philosophy. This is not about theology, although at the core of it is at theolo- uh, The core of it obviously is theological. It's a thought about God. But here is what it is. It's a personal, genuine, authentic walk with a real and a living God through the person of Jesus. And you can know him this morning. You can get to, to become more acquainted with the wonders of his purpose. Of his person. And uh, and that's why we love walking through the books of the Bible together, because we, we don't want to sh- be involved in sharing rumors or, or, or religious thoughts. We want to show you Jesus. We want to introduce you to him in as in as, as scripture-based way as we possibly can, according to the truth. And so that's why our current series is called Consider Jesus. We want to show you who Jesus is, and, and, and through the book of, of Hebrews, ultimately what the book of Hebrews is telling us is who this Jesus is and what he genuinely was able to secure for us on the cross, the work that he did on our behalf, not us having to do it for ourselves, but what he secured for us, and the fact that it is way better than anything that you could ever have imagined, that the news and the story and the finished work of the cross is way greater than any religious system or self-help or or self-righteous action. It's not about human works. It's not even about your goodness, the gospel is not about taking bad people and making them good. It's about taking dead people and making them alive. Alive in the knowledge of Christ, and not alive in his love, alive in this genuine hope that we have that is so unshakable. And so the, the writer encourages us to consider Jesus because he's better than anything we could have imagined. And he offers us a better deal a better deal than religion, a better deal than self-sacrifice, a better deal than, than, than us trying very hard to be good enough to fight off our own shame and work our way into heaven. He offers us something better, a better covenant, the book of Hebrews says, based on better promises. He is the originator of that covenant. He is the, the founder of our salvation. He, he offers us this genuine hope that is unshakable precisely because it is not based on your goodness. It's not based on your goodness, but squarely on him and his grace and the love that he has for every single one of us. And and I've gotta tell you that beyond anything else that I might have in my life or achieve in my life, beyond any other relationship that I might possibly form in my life, beyond any other thing that I could find my significance or my hope or my value in, this is the one thing that gives my life meaning. This is the one thing that, that changes everything about the person that I am that gives me security, that gives me hope, that gives me boldness to walk forward. It's not me, it's not based in who I am, but it's based in the love that God has for me. There is nothing else that can give you that kind of security than coming to know that God loves you, not just in a roundabout way, not just in a general way, but that he loves you knowing every single bit of you. Who else? We can come to church and we can hide things about us. We can, we can pretend, we can act. As people, we are great actors. But who else genuinely knows everything about you, every tear that you've cried, every, every heartache you've experienced, every flaw, every, every ugly thing that you have ever thought or done and yet unconditionally loves you and accepts you and invites you to something greater? Who else? Nobody else has ever proven that kind of love for me and so that is what gives my life meaning is this love that never fails, that never ceases, that never falters, that never gives up. And it does something on the inside of us that is indescribable. And uh, I promise you that when you experience it, you'll never be the same. It's available to you this morning. God's love has already been poured out. He's already proven it. And that's, the, that's really what the writer of Hebrews is stating Here at the end of Hebrews 6, and that's where we are. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Hebrews 6. If you have an iPhone with you, you can just quickly open up your Bible app. If you have Android, we're not sure that those are redeemed, so rather just leave it in your pocket. Um, We'll stick with iPhones. If you don't have one, just look over at somebody near you that does. Um, I'm just kidding. Jesus loves you as well. You can take those out. Open up the app. Uh, Bible app. If you don't have one, you can quickly download one. Um, and uh, and go to Hebrews 6, because we're at the end of Hebrews 6 today, um, as we get halfway through this book. If you've missed any of the previous messages, we upload all these messages onto SoundCloud. Um, so you can also download that app and follow Anchor Church Joburg, or just find us online, or go onto our website. Um, and we post all these links there, and, and you'll be able to catch up with us in the series called Consider Jesus. But last week, we looked at how uh, there are better things that belong to salvation, that when Jesus saved us, he didn't just save us from our past and from our sins, but he saved us two great things that he has for us to walk in, and just like my kids, my kids oftentimes when I go shopping for them, they grow so fast, they grow so quickly that I'll buy them clothes oftentimes that's too big for them. Um, Already at the the beginning of grade one, Eli's clothes were all baggy and they're already beginning to fit because what happens is oftentimes we grow up into these things and into these clothes. And and the Bible says that if you've been baptized in the book of Galatians, you have put on Christ like the putting on of new clothes. And sometimes when we first put on those clothes, they're a little bit too big for us. And what the the book of Hebrews chapter 6 was saying in a very kind of direct way, in a very joyful but serious way, was that it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can all develop and grow up into the salvation that God has for us, that we can, that we can be trained in the righteousness that is already ours, not in order to become righteous, but because we've already been made righteous. We can now grow up in salvation in all these things and walk in maturity and not have our development stunted by wrong attitudes or or perspectives. And so, so hope, the hope that God gives us and that it speaks about here in Hebrews 6 is not just all the things that we're wishing for. Hope is not all the things that you're wishing for. It's all the things that God is turning you into. He is developing you and we saw how, how we by faith and by, by patience, just like those who have gone before, just like Abraham, through faith and patience, it says he inherited the promise and the promise was all that God wanted to do in his life. And so all of us can inherit the promise and we can make our salvation sure, we can assure ourselves of our salvation by simply keep moving forward, by, 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 by uh, being faithful and by holding fast to the hope that we have in Jesus and watching how God will do things in your life that you never thought possible. I love the fact that that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed seed and then went to bed. And he woke up in the morning and he did not know how, but there was a harvest. He didn't work for it, he just sowed the seed and went to bed but there was a great harvest and he didn't know how it came about, but the earth produces its crops. And in the same way, when you put the leaven of faith in your life, when you put the seed of faith in your life, you you ultimately allow God to take control of your process. And as long as we stay engaged, as long as we keep our faith in Jesus, what happens is there is a development, there is a growth, there is a harvest. So don't look at your life right now and think to yourself, I'll never get there from here. You don't need to get there right now. All you need to do is sow the seed of faith. And trust God to bring the growth, to bring the salvation, to bring the the fullness of his salvation um, into your life. And so that's what we looked at, that that God has all these promises for us to walk in. And so we just keep our eyes on Jesus. We just remain faithful to God's process in our lives. And we will see just how true God's promises really are. We will see just how true they are. If they're not true, nothing will happen. But if if they are true, It will change everything about your life. And in this way, we can imitate those like Abraham who inherited the promise um, and the fullness of God's promise. And so that's what we looked at last week. And so the author continues here at the end of Hebrews 6 by showing us why every promise that God has made over our lives is so secure. Why every single thing that God has ordained for you and his commitment to you is so unwavering and so unshakable and something so dependable, in our lives, thank God for something we can depend on. Thank God for something that we can put our trust in and our hope in that will not disappoint us. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You can get sick from constantly putting your hope in things that fail you. But there's one thing that we can put our hope in that will never fail us, a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that is secure, a hope that is firm, and it is the hope that we have in Jesus. It's his promises in our lives. And so that's what we're gonna look at today in this message called Consider Jesus as Your Anchor. Consider Jesus as your anchor. I think it's a great name for a church. Um, Consider Jesus as your anchor. Hebrews 6.13, and we really do come to our foundational scripture as a church as we do this. So we're gonna read these uh, seven verses here, Hebrews 6.13 to 20, and then I'm gonna break it open a little bit, and we're gonna look at some of those things. Um, But read with me this morning, Hebrews 6, verse 13 says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will most surely bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. That was the promise that God made. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise, for people swear by something greater than themselves and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, he guaranteed it with an oath. So he didn't just make a promise, but he then doubled up on that and, uh, and, and, and made an oath based on his promise so that through two unchangeable things, the oath and the promise, in which it is impossible for God to lie, it's impossible for God to lie We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Everybody say strong encouragement. Come on, we might have strong. That wasn't very strong encouragement right there, all right? Everybody say strong encouragement. That's what we have in Jesus. We have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which we looked at last week, but I'll clarify again for you this week. He is the eternal high priest, the bridge that that, that connects us to God. Our human sinfulness and frailty and need, Jesus has perfectly, by becoming like us, perfectly represented us before the throne of God and perfectly represented God before us as the exact imprint of his nature, and thereby created a bridge between us and God, allowing us to be united with God once more. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's what Jesus did. He is the perfect mediator of a perfect covenant, not based on human sacrifice, but based on on the sacrifice of the Son of God himself. Come on, we are so grateful for that this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we are going to just break these few verses apart this morning in the time that we have left, and hopefully you'll be encouraged through all of that. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, that you are at work this morning, speaking to all of us. Father, thank you, Lord, that your the, the hope that you have provided us, that you have set before us, Lord. That by your your unchangeable nature, your consistency, your your fullness, Lord God, we can we can lay a hold of it. We can be encouraged to seize the hope that is set before us, Lord. And we thank you, God, that it will give us stability in life. That it will give us a hope, a future, an anchor that will keep us secure, Lord, that will keep us confident, that will keep us moving forward, Lord. And we just thank you for that this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for for what you have done. We give you all of the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So I don't know, how many of you have ever uh, tried your hand at deep sea fishing? Anybody ever gone deep sea fishing? Okay, a couple of us uh, might might have been a traumatic experience. I've only done it once, okay? I've only one time uh, gone deep sea fishing. I was out on holiday near Mossel Bay, and I had a friend that was there as well, and he phoned me at about 9 p.m. one evening, uh, one December evening, and he said, "Hey, why don't we go deep sea fishing tomorrow? There is a boat going out uh, from the Mussel Bay docks at 6 a.m. And so, if we're j- there just before six, uh, we can go with them. This is how much it's going to cost, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And so, you know, we, you know, thought this was a great idea that we would go out there and we would go deep sea fishing. And uh, I remember being a little bit nervous, never having done it before, not sure how deep we were going to go out into sea. But getting there in the morning and seeing this really, really nice fishing." Vet, this really nice uh, ship that had um, kind of an inside area. I was pretty sure there would be some seating for when we get tired of reeling in all the fish we were gonna catch and there would be, uh, I saw through the window, there were onboard toilets. I thought that was great and, um, you know, it just really looked like a nice fishing vessel to go out on and and, and everybody was really confident that morning. I remember one guy that was there that was um, constantly asking the skipper how many sharks were allowed to reel in because apparently he was gonna reel them in by the dozens. And, um, and everywhere, you know, there's a lot of like kind of, you know, macho bravado and manliness going around that morning. It was really awesome to, uh, to witness. And so we were ready for this fishing trip and felt very confident um, until the skipper told us that it was time for us to board our boat. And in order to get to our boat, you needed to get into this really nice um, big fishing vessel. And you needed to walk across to the starboard side. And on the other side of the boat was our boat. We couldn't even see it. It was on. It was smaller than that boat, and so we got into the big, nice ship, and we walked across the deck to the other side. And there, on the other side, was this. Um, I don't know. It, it looked like a toy. It, it was yellow. <laughs> it was yellow. It had no cabin. It had no seating. Um, it had no toilets. Um, there were eight of us going on this boat. It only had about two centimeters of perspex protecting the captain from the elements. Um, and we were going to head out into the great and mighty ocean, the Cape of Storms, I've heard it's been called, um, in what looked like, honestly, what my boys bath with, um, in the evenings. And so we were slightly less hyped up at that point, climbing into this little boat. Um, and we, we got in and, um, And we we started moving out to sea and we we traveled for about 40 minutes. I'm not sure exactly how many kilometers we traveled, but we were far out. We could, by the time we stopped, there was no land. You couldn't see land anymore. And so the the, the skipper stopped the boat and he said, right, it's time to fish. The only problem was that in this tiny little baby boat um, that was also yellow, uh, (laughs) I don't know why that makes it worse, but it really did feel like it made it worse that it was yellow. So in this tiny baby boat, we had no idea how large, and I'd never experienced how, lo- how large ocean swells can really be when you're out in the middle of the ocean where you can't see land anywhere around you and your boat is just rising way up and then dropping way down. You know, you know the feeling that you get when you know, you're driving on, on William Nickel way too fast and you go over one of those intersections and your stomach kind of leaves your body for a few moments, visits Jesus and then comes back. You know that feeling that you get, that's kind of what we felt all the time being out in this, in this ocean swell, and, um, and so it was about 10 minutes and everyone on the boat was sick. All of us were sick, no one was fishing. We couldn't care less about catching fish. The last thing we wanted to see was a fish. We just wanted to actually go home, except for one guy, because you always know there's gotta be one guy. And we could have guessed that it was this guy. Now, I don't mean to stereotype, but in this case, the stereotype was real. You know when you get those Afrikaans guys? <laughs> but for some reason, they have very dark skin. Right, they have like, like these dark-skinned Afrikaans guys and you know, at school they were probably called Dusty or something like that and, and uh, they arrive at the docks driving an X5, you know the guys that I'm talking about and then they get out with like the big gold chain and matching gold bracelet. That guy never got sick. <laughs> he was also the only one who caught fish um, on that entire trip, so he was fine but the rest of us were so sick that we just wanted to go home and uh, it was about 30 to 40 minutes later where the captain said, right, everybody is sick um, who wants to go home? He thought, okay, this was a great deal because he informed us that we would keep, that he would keep our money if we went home and uh, and we were like I, I was thinking to myself i 'll pay you more to take me home like I <laughs> really don 't want to be out here right now and so um, so we went back to shore and when I got back to shore, I realized two things: number one that I love land, right that I really love just you know firm underfoot kind of earth. Um, it was really great to get back on land and not feel that that instability. Um, but more than that, I realized that I love stability. I love consistency. I love being able to step and feeling the consistency below, beneath my feet. And I realized that instability actually has the potential to make you sick. Instability has the potential to make you sick. Now, a physical sense when you're out on the ocean, but in an emotional sense when you don't have a firm hope. An emotional sense when you don't have something to hold on to. An emotional sense when your entire life is constantly um, fluctuating. And and we know that life fluctuates. We know that that things fluctuate a lot. We know that our favorite sports teams, any Lions or Liverpool supporters here this morning? If you're a Liverpool supporter, you should be used to that. That's pretty constant, okay? they're losing on that side, but, but, but for the Lions, we've had a good run, and, and, and the financial world, the markets are constantly going up. The political world is, is always unstable or just one step from being unstable, and, and our relationships and people's commitment always fluctuates, and, and if we're, we're really honest this morning, we ourselves are pretty inconsistent. I mean, we would like to go, well, if I can't trust anybody else, at least I can trust on me. No, you can't. You can't even trust in yourself because you are as inconsistent as everybody else that you blame for being inconsistent if you're really honest this morning. Um, And so your relationship with God, this is is why uh, it is so important for, for you to know that it is a particularly bad idea, a particularly bad idea for you to base your relationship with God on your goodness or on your commitment or on your love for him. Because you are inconsistent. Because you are imperfect. Because you are flawed. And so if we base our relationship and our, and our confidence and our security and our, and our future on how committed we are to God, it will feel like that boat drifting on the ocean. You'll have certain highs when you've had a great week and you're up there and you're like, anybody need healing right now? Come to me, I can pray for you right now. I can pray for you, you'll be healed, you'll be touched, you'll be saved, you'll be delivered. Come on, I'm I'm, I'm on a high right now, but then you have a week that's not so great and all of a sudden that confidence just dissipates and somebody comes to you for prayer and you say, you know what, I've had a bad week, I need prayer, I can't pray for you, right? Right? We struggle with consistency even in our relationship with God and so our works and our goodness and our commitment to Him are never a great basis for your relationship with God. Our obedience to the law or to some sort of a moral code will create a up and down roller coaster ride of a relationship and your confidence with God will never be secure. You will be robbed of your confidence. But when you come to trust in His love, when you come to believe in his commitment towards you, when you come to believe in the finished work of the cross as something that Jesus declared, it is finished, it is done, it is complete, that you have been made righteous by the gift of God, there's a confidence, there's a security. It's why the Bible says um, that, 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 that the righteous are bold as lions. Why are we bold? Because because we think that we've 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 managed to to conquer life and, and are great at life. No, because our our faith and our, our confidence is not in us. Our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but in Jesus and in his goodness. And the more you know God's love, this is I can't tell you how true this is. The more you come to know his love for you, the more you will experience confidence and stability and steadfastness emotionally and in every other way in your own life. There's nothing that shakes you anymore because you stand on unshakable ground. You have built your house on the rock so when the winds blow and the waves beat against it, they cannot fall. That's what gives us security in this life. Eli, my six-year-old boy who's in grade one, had to do a speech about his family this week. And he had to mention each member of the family and then say something about them or say a few things about them. And he, when he came to him doing his speech and he mentioned me, he says, this is my dad. He had to take a photo on a family tree. He said, this is my dad. And the first thing he said was, he loves me very much. This is my dad, he loves me very much. And that is what God wants for every single one of us. That when we think about God, when we're talking about perspectives, we're talking about seeing God the right way, the very first thing that God wants you to know is the great love that he has for you. And that, that that is a pervasive thought. It runs through every other thing that you might think about God, is that it is always in the basis and in the context of his love for you. So when God does speak to us in a way or discipline us in a way that causes us to grow, that that can be tough for our flesh to to deal with, we know that it's not coming from a a vindictive place, but it's coming from a loving place. A God that wants us to grow and walk in maturity and develop and experience the goodness that he has prepared for us. So God is is always moved by his love for you, not by your love for him. It tells us this in, in 1 John 4 verse 10, Um, the the Apostle John wrote and he said, "In this is love. You wanna wanna know what love is? Not that we have loved God. It's not that you love God. It's not that you're super committed. It's not that you're the greatest Christian that ever lived and therefore God gives you the stamp of approval. But not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's true love. Even when you were a God hater and and a rebel and running in the opposite direction, God said, I love you so much, I'll send my son to die for you whether you realize it or not whether you even accept it or not. I want everybody to know this and accept it, but even if you don't, I'm still sending him to die for you. And so God is moved by his love for us. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.13 that when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's just who he is. He just is faithful. And, And even when we were sinners, he died for us. And that's what true love looks like. And God wants us this morning to be encouraged by this. He says that, that, you may, that you may take hold, that you may be, be um, encouraged this morning to seize the hope that's before you. He wants you to experience that encouragement and that is why he chose to make promises. You know that God didn't have to make a promise? His yes is his yes and his no is his no. He could have just said, well, it is what it is and I'll do what I'll do. But in order to encourage us in times when we feel like in our frailty we cannot believe in the promise, he said I'm going to make a promise and not only am I gonna make the promise but I'm going to double down on that and I'm going to make an oath based on that promise. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, put my own name. He says an oath ends every dispute. If there is a dispute and somebody makes an oath, if you swear by somebody higher, if you have to go to court or if you have to submit an official document, oftentimes you need it to be an affidavit that is stamped by a higher authority. And so God chose not just to make a promise, but to stamp it, although there was no higher authority, so what he does is he stamped it by his own nature. He stamped it using his own name. He is the highest authority in all of heaven And so he stamps it using his own nature, his own credibility, his own truthfulness. In other words, God put his own name on the line. He says, test me in this. See if I won't be faithful to you. That's how much you can be sure of the promises of God in your life. He has his own credibility on the line here. In fact, where it says in Hebrews 6 verse 14, when he makes the promise and says, I will most surely bless you and I will greatly multiply you, that um, wording there, I will most surely bless you, is more literally translated, if I don't surely bless you. In other words, there's an implied longer sentence here that, that, that is, it's almost as if though you and I were to say, if I don't keep my promise, may I never be trusted again. That's what God is saying when he says, just watch Abraham. If, if I won't bless you, then nothing else can be true anymore. Then, then my own name is dragged through the mud. Then, then I'm never to be trusted by anybody again. But when God says, I will surely bless you, he says that my own, my own uh, uh, credibility, my own nature, my own name is on the line for this, that's the kind of promise that we have in God, not a frivolous thought, not a, a little bit of interest, but God putting his own name on the line uh, in every promise that he has made for you. So Hebrews six seventeen says, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose, he wanted to show it to us, more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with this oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. This is why Jesus, in the midst of the storm, when they were on the, uh, on the, on the sea and this great storm arose and, and literally to the point where, where, the, where the disciples said that we're gonna perish, we're gonna die because the waves are crashing over the ship and we're being washed away. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. What gave Jesus the ability to sleep right through a storm? What gives us the strength to be able to sleep and to rest right through a challenge, right through a trial, right through a storm, right through a difficulty? It's the knowledge that God cannot lie, that he always remains faithful, that his promises are sure, and that he has put his own name on the line, and that he proved it through sending his son, Jesus. He, he confirmed his love for us by allowing his own son to die on the cross for us. That is the commitment level of God. And so Jesus sleeps through the storm and the disciples wake him up and they say, oh, don't you care that we're perishing? And he says this, oh, you of little faith. He's not talking about the fact that they were just, they were just not uh, strong enough to rebuke the winds and the waves themselves. He's talking about the fact that they thought that God that had a purpose for their lives and had created them would allow them just to simply perish. In other words, they didn't trust in the love that God had for them. Although Jesus was like, I'm fine. I know who my God is, I know who protects me, I know what my source is, and so I can sleep right through the storm. That's what God does. He has made promises over your life and he invites you to trust him, to take the strong encouragement to hold on to the hope. And then he says this in verse 19, and this is where we come to to our scripture, verse 19 and 20 says the following. It says, we have this hope. Please note that it doesn't say we have hope. I've heard this this scripture misquoted so many times That people say, well, hope is the anchor of the soul. No, it can actually make your soul sick if it is not the right hope. If it's deferred, if 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 it fails you, it could be the wrong hope, it could be your downfall. But we have this hope, this hope in the promise of God, this hope in the nature of God, this hope in the commitment and the love and the strength of God towards all of us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner, because he has become a high priest forever, in the, according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, and so we have this 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 very this very strong and secure hope that God has for us. Other hope can make you sick, like I was on that boat that day, fluctuating up and down. But the hope we have with Jesus now um, uh, this is this is such a beautiful thing that I want to make sure you you realize, recognize, and walk away with today is that this hope that we have with Jesus is not just a hope that is fixed in some earthly point. It's not Our hope is not just in the church or in a community or in God speaks his hope through all of that, but our hope isn't on some earthly platform. It's not like a ship that has a, an anchor that is that is connected to the, to the sea floor. What the scriptures actually say is that Jesus is our hope and he has passed through the heavens and he has taken this anchor into the inner sanctuary, into the most holy place, in other words right into the throne room of God. It's a picture of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament where only the high priest could once a year on the day of atonement go into the presence of God, and there he would have to make sacrifices for himself, being imperfect and human himself, but would also make sacrifices on behalf of the people in order, in, in order to be this imperfect or temporal mediator between God and man, creating peace between God and man. But what Jesus did is that once and for all, he took Our, us, our hearts, our souls, our hope. And he took the anchor of our hope and he walked right into the throne room of God in heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. And so your anchor and my anchor is not in some earthly thing, but we are anchored in God's presence in heaven right now. Your future, your hope, your life is anchored in heaven. On earth, everything fluctuates, but that is the one consistent. That is the one thing that we can hold on to. That is the one hope that will never disappoint us. That is the one place where Jesus, as the high priest, and not just a temporal one, but that's why it says, in the order of Melchizedek, an eternal high priest. The anchor that holds beyond the veil in the presence of God is an eternal anchor. It cannot be shifted, it cannot move, it cannot be taken out. It, it holds us in that place. It keeps us in the presence of God. Jesus went ahead of us, it says, as a forerunner, meaning that, that we're to follow that we are attached to that. On the other side of that anchor is a chain, figuratively speaking, and that chain attaches to our lives and we are therefore held in the presence of God, being able to enjoy His presence and enjoy um, everything that God has promised. Our anchor holds fast and it keeps the ship from being lost. If you've ever been out in a ship, you'll know that if you don't put down the anchor, you'll just drift and what the writer of Hebrews says to us um, right in the beginning is don't drift. Keep considering Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus so that you won't drift to, to putting your anchor in, in earthly things that are gonna disappoint you. The seabed isn't secure. It's gonna, you're just gonna be moved along like the waves of the sea. But when we put our hope in Jesus, when we consider Jesus, when we hold fast to that anchor, it keeps us from being lost. And your life has been anchored in the very presence of God in the very presence of God this is not a roller coaster anymore your relationship with God is not a roller coaster anymore it's not a wave of the sea anymore it's not a swell there is no insecurity in our walk with him it's 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 immature not in a in a negative sense but but a baby Christian if I can put it that way that is insecure in their walk with God because they haven't grown in their faith enough to know that the anchor holds. They still need to test the anchor. They still need to tug on it a couple of times. They still need to be blown by a couple of storms before they recognize and realize this anchor will not be moved. And when you recognize it, there's a security. There's a a calmness, there's a rest, there's an ease that comes over your life because come what may, come what may, my anchor holds, my hope is secure. God's son, not just some messenger, but God's son has anchored my life in God's presence. It frustrates me, I'm gonna rant for one moment, but it frustrates me when Christians say that we must enter his presence. Really, it, it frustrates me. When, when we must seek his face, when we must, when we must uh, uh, you know, make sure that we're doing everything that we can to enter into his throne room. I understand what people mean, okay? So I'm not ragging on anybody. I understand what they mean. In other words, we must be intentional about making ourselves aware of God's presence, but please don't get this wrong theologically. You do not need to enter his presence. Your life is anchored in his presence. You do not need to get into the throne room. The throne room is your home. You yourself have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You do not need your prayers to reach heaven. Your prayers in God lives on the inside of you. Your real life, the Bible says, don't get worried about everything that happens here on earth because your real life is with God. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's where you live. It's who you are. Stop trying to get into his presence like you're some sort of an orphan, like you're some sort of an outsider, like you're some sort of a stranger or a foreigner to the presence of God. It's not who you are. You live in his presence. You walk in his presence to live and move and have your being. We do it all in him. There's no other way that you could have the life that you have. So stop trying to get into God's presence and recognize that you are in his presence and walk and live from that platform. You're anchored in his presence. He is constantly at work in our lives and you cannot be removed. You know who you are and you know whose you are. And when you know that, you're firm and secure. You can walk into every situation with your head held high. You know that God is with you. You know that he won't fail you. You know that he won't abandon you. You know that he's not basing his commitment towards you on your commitment towards him. So even when you have a bad day, he's equally committed to you as he was the day before. I remember when I was in Florida, in uh, in the in the US, not on the West End. Um, and um, although the West End, Florida, is also cool. Um, and I was driving one morning with a friend. Um, SpaceX was going to put a spaceship up um, that morning, and I went with a friend of mine to a certain dock that you can sit at and watch the spaceship go up. It's pretty much the closest public place where you can watch these uh, rocket launches from um, at Cape Canaveral. And we were driving along, and along these docks, you have these massive cruise liners that are that are anchored there um, at those docks. And one of them is a is a Disney World ship. It's it's basically a cruise liner that carries thousands of people, but the whole thing is Disney-themed. I couldn't think of a, of a worse thing. Um, worse than my little boat is being out in the boat on a Disney ship, um, you know, out in the sea for months at a time with thousands of kids. It would be awesome. Um, so, so I remember seeing the ship uh, standing there, and, and I saw the size of the anchor that ships of that size need. Um, here, here's a photo of, of, of just some chains. That is, Those are the chains that attached to the anchor and that is a human being not a figurine standing on top of those chains that is how big every link that holds those ships are and and here's a picture of another just an anchor that a, that a boy is sitting on that is the size of the anchors that that hold these ships. Now, those are the size and the strength and the magnitude of the anchors that hold cruise liners to the ocean floor. Can you imagine what your anchor in Christ looks like in the most heavenly places? And every link of that chain that connects to your life is not some piece of metal that uh, no matter how big it is could be bent or broken, but it is held up. Every link is is an aspect of God's nature and character. It's impossible for him to lie. It is unshakable. It is is immovable, It it is steadfast, it is strong. Can you imagine how strong your link is to heaven? Can you imagine how well held you are if the links on the chain that hold you in the presence of God are not your goodness, but the nature of God himself? The nature of God himself. That's what holds us into our position before God. So we have this hope, firm and secure, no matter what we face. It's amazing how quickly our circumstances can become bigger than that chain in our own hearts and minds. That's where we need faith. We have this hope and it is firm and secure. Watch Mani. I love what he says. He says this, he says, the sight of any trouble strikes terror into the hearts of those who do not have faith. But those who trust him say, here comes my food, here comes my food. This is what I live on. When, when I'm facing it, when, when I'm against it, when my uh, back is up against the wall, when I know that I'm out of my depth, when I'm in the middle of the ocean, this is my food because I know God's fa- my faith in God and God's faithfulness is what sustains me. It's what we feed on, it's what we grow through, it's what nourishes us. So trouble just gives us more opportunity to prove in our own lives the faithfulness of God. Again and again and again, our souls will not be moved. Finally, Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Great is his faithfulness, great is his love. It is steadfast, it endures forever. His mercy endures forever over your life. You cannot be moved, you cannot be shaken. No matter what you're facing, your anchor holds beyond the veil. It is firm and secure. Will you consider Jesus this morning as your anchor? Will you consider what he has done for you as the the steadfastness, the, the, the foundation of your life and your walk in this life? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and, and pray together.